Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm so grateful to be here with you all today and uh, hope that you guys had a great Christmas as we now are finally in the Christmas season. We've been waiting a long time going through Advent, and so we finally get to celebrate together. So first thing, today we're going to be sitting in, considering, and reflecting on the incarnation of Christ. And to do that, we're going to start by using the text from John 1. Listen as I read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Lord, we open our hearts to you this morning. Lord, we open our hearts to these words. And we pray that you would help them to sink into us. Lord, we pray that we would gain a greater understanding of what it means that you came in the flesh. Lord, help us to receive Christmas more deeply today. Help us to truly know what you've been trying to communicate to us through your incarnation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's December 27th, two days after Christmas. Some of us are probably still full from all of the food that we've been eating. And uh, what better way to start than by acknowledging the patron saint of this season, Santa Claus. (laughs) You probably have seen this kind of Santa Claus plastered all over the television, all over billboards. He's the one that's been running around San Francisco, if you were here a few weeks ago for SantaCon. And, And this guy is the one that we tend to think of when we think of Christmas. But don't be deceived. This is not Saint Nicholas. There's, there's something else that really happened. The real Saint Nick was not so rosy. He could actually pe- quite really pack a punch. If you see the real Saint Nick, you can see he's a bit intimidating looking. And in 325, at the Council of Nicaea, he gained infamy by knocking out Arius, another bishop in the early church, when they had a huge controversy over who was Jesus. 
While our saccharine sweet Christmas folklore focuses on Christmas cookies and reindeer, this guy is known for something else. He was the only saint present at the Council of Nicaea who resorted to punches with Arius when he declared that there was no way that Christ could actually have been God. The Arian heresy was one of a theological miss. Arius thought that because Jesus was so human, he couldn't possibly have been compatible with the fullness of God. Why would such a heresy be so inflammatory that it would lead to resorting to punches? Was St. Nick just really immature and he was just like a preschooler that lost a game of Candyland? Or was there something else going on that would inflame him so much that he would think that this was a worthy response? Was this doctrine important? Could Jesus be really God and man? Now, the opposite heresy of the Arian heresy was the myths of the Docetists. They were people who believed that Jesus most certainly was God, but only had the semblance of a man. He was just kind of faking being a man. So you had on one side, Jesus is definitely not God, certainly a man. On the other side, Jesus is definitely not a man, <laughs> but definitely God. Gosh, I get confused even saying, I'm sorry if I, if I mess that up. But, um, but you can see how confusing that can get because it seems just so incompatible. And before we point the fingers at these early Christians, I hope that these examples hold a mirror to us. Most Christians tend to want Jesus to be one thing. Even all of us in this room, we tend to err on one side or the other. You may esteem Jesus so much to be God that you forget his humanity. You may focus so much on his humanity that you forget about his deity. Today I hope that we can find a way to embrace it all. I think one of the things that these heresies point out to us is that we have trouble understanding not only what it means to be God, but also what it means to be a human. I could even give some grace to Arius. Arius came to the conclusions he came to because he wanted to believe that God was so holy and pure and good that he was incompatible with this dusty stuff that we're made of. This is also true of the Docetists. Both heresies cannot find compatibility between God and man, which actually makes me wonder if that's exactly why God had to become one. Human thought at that time was so influenced by Platonism that they couldn't imagine the fullness of goodness simultaneously being material. So under a Platonic understanding, the truest form of any given thing was an abstraction of itself. But Christianity says actually that the fullness of this thing, God, is fully compatible with the same kind of human body that you and I live in. Think of it like this. Perhaps you tried this, and maybe even got in trouble for it, playing with a magnifying glass when you were a kid. In this very exciting little toy, you had the power to take the power of the sun and turn it into maybe even catching a leaf on fire. When you move the magnifying glass back and forth, you can focus the light in such a way that it focuses all of that power into one little bright, hot spot. 
Since you're all here, I'm assuming that your play with magnifying glasses all went okay. None of you burned yourself down. But here we can see a little example of how maybe something in its limitations can pack potency. Jesus is that point of potency. The incarnation is not just about God, but it's also about you. Jesus came that you might feel your worth. We sing that song, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. He came that you might know that you're an image bearer and gain vision for what that actually might mean. You are not so incompatible with God, and in fact, it's his spirit that desires to make a home in you. Listen again to our text this morning. This time, as you listen to the portion I'm going to read, allow it to wrap itself around you. Try not to wrap yourself around it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Did you notice how you couldn't wrap yourself around that? God presents himself in a way where you can only allow yourself to be wrapped in him. He's not there for us to control. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the pre-existing logic, order, and truth that governs all of creation. And this logos was with God, Yahweh, the name that mustn't be spoken, lest we delude ourselves into thinking that we actually had an idea of what it was. And the logos was Yahweh. And Skipping to verse 14, the Logos Yahweh unity became flesh, this meaty skinned substance that we call a body. Here it is, all together. But herein lies the problem. Humans, we just don't like these kinds of paradoxes. We don't want to believe this could all be true. It doesn't really make much sense to us. We're not comfortable with that long string of ands that's holding all of this together. We could focus on all of these different words, the logos, God, the flesh, but today we're gonna focus on that magical word, and. God demonstrates an essential rule of improv beautifully in this text. If any of you have ever taken an improv class or tried improv, then maybe you've experienced this. You've played the game, yes, and. Isn't that exactly what God is doing here? Lagos, yes, and. Yahweh, yes, and. Flesh, yes, and. Tina Fey, who some of you may have heard of, improv expert, talks about this herself. 
The second rule of improv is not only to say yes, but yes and. You're supposed to agree and then add something of your own. If I start a scene with, I can't believe it's so hot in here, and you just say, yeah. We're kind of at a standstill, but if I say, I can't believe it's so hot in here, and you say, well, what'd you expect? We're in hell. Or if I say, I can't believe it's so hot in here, and you say, yes, this can't be good for the wax figures. Or if I say, I can't believe it's so hot in here, and you say, I told you we shouldn't have crawled inside this dog's mouth. Now we're getting somewhere. The incarnation of God's interjection into the human race is a yes and. But it doesn't stop with this definitive statement. The attorney and philanthropist and professor and Christian spiritual writer and speaker and all-around hilarious guy Bob Goff puts it like this. From a manger in Bethlehem, God leaned over the world and said, it's your move. That's us. It's our turn. We're invited to become yes and people. Well, there are times that we certainly must say no, and there are certainly times where God says no. I would argue that his propensity for saying yes and is what makes us most uncomfortable. And his invitation for us to say yes and makes us equally so. We would love if God would just tell us no sometimes. We would love if he would just tell us what to do. Don't we often wish that life could just be good? It could just be one thing. Not good and bad. That we could just be happy. That God would simply tell us what to do. We pray and pray and ask God to mold our lives according to our, pre- to our own preferences. Or sometimes we pray, Lord, whatever you say, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. But then he says nothing. Could it be that he's saying, hey, it's your move. Or even, hey, you've been making this move a long time, I don't know if you've noticed that, and it hasn't really had the outcome that you've wanted. Do you think you might want to try a different move? Yes, and, is how we keep the plot moving forward. Monica Green, the co-author of The Art of Spiritual Leadership, a, a book that we use, puts it like this. Living life saying yes and means accepting and embracing what God has given and entrusted to us and adding to what is there, something that builds up, affirms, and redeems it. By saying yes and, Christians become a part of moving God's story forward. We often say in our spiritual formation department that God is discipling us through our life circumstances. What if all of the stuff that's happening to us is actually our discipleship? It's not that other thing out there. It's happening right now. This is how he gives us the opportunity to live, grow, and play with him. Making a different move can be scary. Making any move at all sometimes can be scary when things aren't going the way we would prefer. Shifting to a new season can bring up all kinds of resistance. If we think of Ecclesiastes 3, we can think of all of these different seasons of life and how they seem to come and go. And we usually have preferences. We tend to like reaping more than sowing. We tend to like building up more than tearing down. We tend to like dancing to mourning. But some of us actually might prefer it another way. 
we might actually feel terribly uncomfortable dancing, but feel perfectly comfortable at a funeral. But life isn't always one thing, is it? It's something that keeps shifting and requires us to shift with it. We don't get to be just one thing. To be people of, of the incarnation means to be people who embrace it all. When Sarah Trank, a beloved member of our church, faced the tragic loss of her husband to cancer, she found it her turn to make a move in response to a circumstance she never would have chosen. Here's what she said about her experience. I've been learning that real life exists within several layers of complexity. There is rarely just one side or one emotion. There's a depth there and opportunities we move along, each on our own journey, to simultaneously grasp different facets of an experience. Life isn't just one thing. It's not just happy. It's not just confusing or difficult or whatever. It's not just. Most of the time, it's and. At least, that's where I am right now. Love and sorrow, growth and exhaustion, loss and freedom, confusion and comfort, fear and vulnerability and beauty. It's difficult to dwell in the tension, but the honesty is freeing. A life of yes and is a life of freedom. If you felt yourself feeling confined by your life, I invite you to consider how might God be pitching you an opportunity to say yes and. Jesus is always with us, yes, and. He's even in work, at work in places we might not expect. For Jesus to have shown up in this major, manger as an infant means that he could show up anywhere. Whatever part of your heart you think he could not possibly show up, ask him. If there's a place you've felt incredible discouragement in your workplace, in your marriage, in your family, ask him. The yes ands of God extend beyond the professed believer. In the Christmas story, we see how they extend to the magi, these wise men from the east who were likely doing astrology. They extend to the Samaritan, to the genuine seeker everywhere. He says, yes, and. I assume that there might be people in this room today who wouldn't profess to follow Jesus. And my hope is that you can still find a yes and in the words of this sermon. And I'm sure that if I had a chance to get to know you and hear your story, I would hear yes ands all over your life and evidence of the image of God over you. I want those of you who profess to be followers of Jesus to think about this next time, the next time your coworker comes to you with the story of how they felt the presence of God on their yoga mat or in nature, or surfing, or in their sport, or rock climbing, or in a piece of music. Rather than ignoring it or combating it, I'd want you to get curious. Could it be 
that God is at work, that they, like the Magi, have a sign waiting for them. There are opportunities for yes and everywhere. There's a part of me that wishes that Saint Nick would have been just a bit more patient with Arius. I can hear, I, this is the spiritual director in me. I want him to respond, Arius, I can hear you are longing for a strong, good God that surpasses your understanding. And you long for that so much that you think that if you can shake your God's hand, that that couldn't possibly be enough for you. But what if God wants to expand beyond what you could even imagine? What if God wants to, in, to present himself in a way that blows even your mind? I wonder if God is trying to challenge all of us into believing something different about it, what it means to be God and what it means to be a human. Jesus is integrating our humanity into his being by his presence because we, as we allow his spirit to take residence in our hearts, we become paradoxes. We become yes and people. We're sinners and saints. We have the spirit of God and we're prone to wander. All of these things are uncomfortable to our regimented ways of life that want to take us from A to B to C in our way, in a way that looks good, in a way that fits our culture, in a way that doesn't cause any confusion, in a way that's going to fit us. But Christ's incarnation causes us to hold this perception of who we are with looser hands. It's not just our perception of ourselves. He has a perception of us. He has a vision for us. A vision for who we are, for who we can be. And we are invited to be a part of that, to co-create it, to move this story forward. But it requires courage. To receive this Christ who came to us. And as we're going to do in a moment with communion, we admit that we need to come into a life of yes and. That it's going to take us on a journey, maybe a ride that we wouldn't prefer. But we will have moves to make. And God will have moves to make. And the joy of being on a journey with God is one of the most incredible adventures we could ever choose. As we take communion today, remember that this is a sacrament of yes and. You receive the mystery of Christ into your body that you too might become a mystery. Would you pray with me?